Welcome to Making Comics, a podcast exploring the comics process from two different perspectives. I'm Keith Foster. I write the comics Animals, Kadoja, and The Three Protectors. And I'm Scott Loss, the creator and artist of The Second Shift, Wanders Melisanda, and Paradise Hills. Yeah. In fact, I was I was so thinking ahead to you, I sort of stammered there and almost said The Three Protectors, because I was about to say The Second Shift. <laughs> that's not me that's i don't do that i don't do that so uh so i'm i'm hosting i saw when we were setting up on on the video chat that you had a beer in front of the camera tell me about it okay so it's our old friend society uh they had something over at trader joe's uh, since i like society so much this is just an ipa it's called flashback time ipa um it is 7.2 so i'm a big fan of that and it is Juicy dystopian future. Those are the things that it says on it. Let's okay. see what this bad boy. Go, what, what do you got? I'll, I'll sip this and I'll give you a, my okay. initial so thought I, after I hear what I you I have got. a beer that, that's from Tavor. It's been in my fridge for a while. I've been saving it for a special occasion. This seems pretty goddamn special. 143 episodes of something is special, goddammit. Plus, any day special if you really put your mind to it. Hey, one, so this four, thing three. is called... I love you. That's great. One, four, three. Yeah. All right. Uh, so the the last guardian is the name of the beer I have. It's by a brew company called River North. It describes itself as a modest Abbey style golden. Okay. Can I tell you that I'm taking issue with the part where it's modest? Right. <laughs> what 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 is modest about a 19.3 percent ABV? Uh, not, excuse me. Yeah, you heard me. Like that's not a typo. I'm drinking 12 ounces of a 19.3% beer. <laughs> Holy shit. Yeah. That is more That's than saying, double what I have. Yeah. Well, that means I'm going to be double awesome. It's pretty clear. <laughs> By the end of this episode, yeah. <laughs> Holy shit, man. Yeah, I know. I mean, and yours is like, what, eight or nine? It's not like it's a joke, right? It was like, like 7.2, which is 7. pretty 2. solid. Yeah. It's like two and a half times that. Dude. But, but a little less volume. Only 12 ounces, Oh, okay. So, so that that power rating is well over two hundred, which I think, I mean, we're we're definitely we're definitely in uh, what was that crazy beer that Gary gave, gave us uh, that made us see through time? Like that's sort of where we're going here, <laughs> yeah. Right. So that's that's this one. That's this one. But anyway, so I'm gonna I'm gonna start sipping, and I mean sipping this, and you're gonna tell me about the first thing you did this week. Well, the first thing I did on this episode was take a sip of this society beer, and one of the one of the markers there was juicy, and it is correct. Mm -hmm. It is kind of a okay. juicy IPA. It doesn't have that hitting you over the head with the IPA flavor, the the crazy hops and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. It's tampered down a little bit. It's not quite a hazy, but it's it's like it's third cousin or something like mm -hmm. that. Like it's it's just okay. not too intense. So I'm so I'm digging it. Um, okay, I'll let you know by the end of the can. Uh, okay, so the first thing and the biggest thing that I did this week is I finished two pan or two pages in two panels of Paradise Hills. So I went ham this week, dude. I was on fire after San Diego Comic Con. I have been in this amazing groove. Um, I've been doing uh, uh, more than one panel per day, and obviously getting two two pages and two panels done in, in a matter of. Uh, what is this, a week? Yeah, we did a full week this yeah. time. Oh, right on. Look a, at a little bit more. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. A little bit more this time. Yeah, so I'm staying on pace. I'm just, uh, I'm crushing this thing. I only have four panels left of this of this book, and I guarantee you I will finish this within the next two days. So, um, okay. which leaves me with about 
a month and a half or maybe close to two months, a month and a half, a month and three weeks um, to basically kind of do initial drawings and layouts for the Drawtober issue, just kind of mm-hmm. figure out the story that I'm going to do. So I have a month and a half to play with that. And um, if I happen to finish the layouts of that stuff prior to that, then I'm going to hop on to Wander's Melisanda. So right now everything is rocking and rolling, uh, moving along really nice. Um, so I'll be sending the rest of these pages over to my flatter by Sunday. I'll probably send him the three or four pages that I need to get to him now um, and then just uh, knock out the rest of this page and a couple of mm-hmm. panels and then uh, be done with it, you know, send, send oh, that yeah. over to him and then uh, do the first draft of the script. That's great. That's great. I mean, I was curious when in listening back to last week's episode, you had mentioned you were you were thinking you might be done. You're thinking you might be done, and you ended up coming really close because it was ambitious. You had like three, three plus pages basically left to do, mm-hmm. and uh, so yeah, man, it's good. It's good. You're coming along. Next time we talk, you're going to be done, and then you can move on to the next thing. So, I mean, that's a just that's it's being productive. That's taking the downtime and using the downtime to your advantage. And you know, the way that we do things, I think, because we like writing to these goals or having these goals. The the nice thing is if you take a little bit of time, the old Abe Lincoln line, right? If you if you give me a tree, to, uh, an hour to chop down a tree. If you give me a tree to chop down an hour, and you've been drinking, <laughs> I'm not buzzed yet. I promise. Um, if you give me an hour to chop down a tree, I'll spend the first fifty minutes sharpening the axe, right? I believe that's the famous Abe Lincoln line. Mm-hmm. And so it is nice to know that if you take some time off, and then you come back to it, you're actually a, a more productive for a while. And and I think often what you'll find is that just balances itself out over time as if you had just worked every day in your usual increment. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, you know, all part of the process sometimes. Like everyone gets these artist block, writer's block, creator's block, whatever you want to call it. And as long as you keep working through it, you know, like, Try your best to work through it however you can. Tackle different aspects of the creative process that you deal with. Eventually, you'll break through. And once you do, oh, man, like, it, it's so it's so rewarding. Like, I'm so yeah. happy. Those That month, basically, month and a half, I felt like I was dragging my feet on everything. Um, mm-hmm. it, was, it was like torture, you know? It was just like yeah. I'm, I'm such a productive person. And for that to happen, I was just like, dude, am I going to get this back? Like what happened? And yeah, San Diego being this, <clears throat> this ground for inspiration, you know, I had, I had mentioned conventions could go one of two ways. It can inspire you or it can mm-hmm. deflate you. You could be exhausted and don't want to do anything, or you're just so, mm-hmm. um, enamored with all the work and booths and, and creative process and energy that's going on in the place that inspires you to hop back on it and like hit it hard, hit it fast. And, and that's how mm-hmm. I've been since San Diego. And, and it's such a great thing because San Diego was so freaking exhausting, you know, four and a half days of nonstop, 12 hours of standing, uh, every mm-hmm. day, you know, pitching, pitching a book to strangers, like trying to convince them that your book is worth their money. It, it, mm-hmm. it takes so much out of you. So um, to walk away from that with just this renewed fire and like the ability to crush these last few pages and just keep it rolling, like like I'm so happy, dude. Yeah, yeah, no, that's great. I, I we'll we'll talk about this a little later in my things, but I had a similar thing happen where you just get a little bit of feedback and it's enough for you to go. And you know, San Diego Comic Con, it's worth noting 
that it is a true four-day show. It's four and change. You know, most shows we do, it's two and change. Most shows that exist are two and change. And my editorial opinion is that the shows that are three and change should, in fact, be two and change. They, they're they trying to mimic the bigger shows and make it open longer. And I think they're failing because if you have a, a mainly empty convention floor for a lot of that time, then then what does having more hours do other than really annoy the vendors who have spent an extra day hotel and all that stuff. Right. So, so I mean, anyway, I I think that's great, you know, and, and, uh, and yeah, man, San Diego, I I imagine it can be exhausting because I know what doing that same level of selling for maybe three full days is like, you know, I think WonderCon is actually three full days now that I think about it and that, that can drain, you know, so, so props to you and glad that, you know, you sort of, you dipped a little bit, but then your average ended up resuming by you being that much more productive coming out of it. So great stuff. Um, And it's funny. I think we're, I think we're hive minding a little bit here, Scott, because you used the idea of like creative block, writer's block, that kind of thing. And creative block slash writer's block, that is the overarching theme of my first two things that I want to talk about this week. So the first thing, and it's in separate context, right? So first I wanted, this first thing I want to catch up a little bit on last week because I did have it and wanted to just save it for this week, which was I... I finished my scene outline for issue two of the time travel comic. I'm, I'm continuing to figure I'm writing where the heat is. That is what I want to write instead of the final issue of Kadoja. So I'm sticking with it. Um, so I've thought through the character. I've thought through the things I wanted to convey. And I even thought about how to convey it in an interesting way, right? Because that's the key here is that you can't just convey it. You need to have the thing you want to do and then like, okay, well, what right turn can you make away from that where it delivers that information, um, but but not as on the nose. So last week I got through all of that. I had a really good script, um, a really good skeleton for me to write the scenes. And, and then starting this week, I did in fact write the first scene, felt really good about it. I'm like, okay, this is cool. And then I got to the second scene and I stuck on it. I knew what I wanted to convey. I know the information I wanted to convey, but I was really sticking. I had thought of something that was sort of like, yeah, that's an interesting way to do it. But when it came time to write the scene, I realized it was interesting, but it wasn't enough and that I can do more. And for for three, four days of the week, I stuck on that. I mean, I did other things, but I stuck on that specific, like, what's the more? Like, this scene is, is not exciting enough. How do I make it more exciting? And then I remembered, I was actually standing around with Eden talking about this. And I was like, I'm stuck. I think I'm going to try the Rick Rubin thing. So let me take a little detour here, okay? In Rick Rubin's book, The Creative Act, he details this idea of, of randomness, right? Of, of basically, if you are stuck, you open a book to a random page. You just open up a book, drop it on the floor, and see what that says, Okay. And for, for those of the, you that are familiar, I, I actually had not only read about this in the book, but I had seen a little, you know, my algorithms know I like Rick Rubin. I mean, the dude produced Slayer's three best records. Hmm. So they, and, and the algorithms know that, you know, like, and, and he was Mr. Def Jam for a long time. So I had a video pop up that was probably like a four minute cutout of him on the Joe Rogan show. And he was talking about, so the, the, the song that if you don't know, we will kick you out of California, Chop Suey, System of a Down. He was telling this story about how the lead singer, Serge Tankian, got to the part where there's the breakdown in the middle, right? 
and he didn't know what to write. He had he was like, I have no idea what I want the lyrics to be. So Rick Rubin tells him, pick out, a, go over that shelf, pick out a book, pick out a random book. He's like, yeah. He's like, drop it on the floor. He drops it on the floor. What page is it open to? He's like, I mean, I see there's a page open. He's like, find something on it and read it. He proceeds to read what ended up becoming the breakdown in Chop Suey. So it is, what is that? Falling to your hands, I commend my spirit. Falling to your hands, why have you forsaken me in your mind, forsaken me in your heart, etc. Right? Like, essentially, the emotional climax of the song. Because he walked over to a bookshelf and dropped a book on the floor and the universe mm-hmm. spoke to him. And I, I mean, that is such a cool story. But then, you know, and then, so I had heard, I'd seen that clip first. And then I had read it in the book because I finished the book a couple weeks ago. And, uh... So then I get to my part and I'm like, Eden, I think I'm going to try it. So the problem was I was like, let me pick a couple books from the shelf. So I think I picked a like a travel guide. And what else did I pick? I picked. Oh, I can't. Oh, I picked a short story book because I wanted something as random as possible. I didn't want to pick like the Secret Wars omnibus. You know, like I know what that's going to tell me. I wanted to try to pick something that was sort of as multifaceted as Swiss Army Knife of an idea as I possibly could. And those were the two best books on the shelf. So because I couldn't drop them on the floor and have them open to a page, if I dropped them on the floor, they closed, right? Like one was sort of a long magazine, one was a book. So what I did was I took the book and I said, Eden, turn this book over and over in your hands so that I don't know what's the back and what's the front. And then I want you to hand it to me. So she does it. And then I just randomly closing my eyes, I haven't looked, I just flip open to a page and then I look at that page. And the first page ended up being the location that I'm going to put the scene in. It was great. It was random. And I was like, fuck yeah, that's really cool. And then the second page, I was like, let me see if there's anything that (laughs) that (laughs) that can work for this for this uh, scene. And I open up the page and I start reading from it to Eden. And I'm like, I start reading. I'm like, holy shit, that's amazing. I'm totally going to use it. You know, so (laughs) I'm going to bleep this out, Scott. Yeah. And the two things were. um I am absolutely putting that in my novel, in, in, the, in the comic. So anyway, um, so yes, we just cut that, but it, it was great. It worked. Scott, I think you can verify that it worked yes, and it gave that little bit of Fantastic tidbits that you got, got for sure. Yeah. Excuse me. Unbelievable. SIP is uh, uh, catching up on me for some repeating. reason. It's repeating. It's repeating. Yeah. It's got something to say. It wants to be on the podcast. Maybe we should triple credit it. Yeah, it needs <laughs> you to know? chill the fuck out. Yeah, you calm, calm down, down son. It, it ain't your podcast. It's our podcast. Yeah. So um, anyway, so that was my first thing. And the first way that I just got through creative block. And damn it, if it didn't work. I was I was amazed when it happened. I, I kept on telling Eden, like, I can't believe this worked. <laughs> you know, so a, a great tactic for those of you out there to use. If you ever get stuck, the the, the random page of random book or semi-random book, it, it worked for me. And, and I, I get the feeling it could work for you. Yeah, that's awesome, dude. Um, it turns out this Rick Rubin guy knows knows what he's talking about. Yeah, yeah. And how random is it that your joke from last time, where you're like Paul Rubens, Paul Rubens passed away recently. Like, yeah. Like, so we we should we should take a little second to to like let's just let's just tip one up for Paul Rubens because not only um, did he do some funny things, but he gave us Pee Wee's Big Adventure, which gave us the snakes analogy which we have used for a, the entire duration of this podcast yeah. right without peewee's big adventure there is no you know referencing the part of the snakes so so shouts we tip one up for you and uh, and you can do that and then tell me your second thing man r.i.p paul rubens 
Um, thank you to your cousin for giving Keith all this inspiration <laughs> and, uh, you know, inspiring us to use metaphors from Pee Wee's Big Adventure. Absolutely. A man, am I cutting that? <laughs> I didn't. I didn't know I was using this. I didn't know I was going to edit shit a second time. But boy, am I. <laughs> you old curmudgeon, just because yeah. you don't like to. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, we're up to three now. <laughs> okay, shoot, go for All it. All right. Um, okay, so all that's very cool. I'm glad you got through the block. Very creative way to do it. So Rick Rubens uh, again knows what the hell he's talking about he's coming through Mm -hmm. um so my next thing let's see i have a few how many things do you have i have three three okay all right but the the third one but the third one is like business just really quick blah 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 the second one's more of a talky thing okay yeah most of my stuff is uh oh there's a couple of things uh anyway let's let's go to it um a very beautiful creator uh daniel crossier or Crozier, how to know how to yeah. pronounce that? I think it's um, Crozier. Mm-hmm. Crozier, uh, Daniel Crozier. Um, he did the cover work for a lot of Invader books. That's how I discovered him. So I had him do an alternate cover for Wanders and Melisanda. So you guys won't get to see this for a while. Uh, I won't be working on that book until the end of the year. And uh, but he did a variant cover for me, and I always, always, always ask to see if I can get the original piece. And so I did. I got it in the mail. And this freaking thing is made out of wood. He actually yes. did it on wood. It was amazing. It's 11 by 17 piece. Um, beautiful work. He had already scanned it in and sent it to me. Um, and then to see the piece in person, just as beautiful, if not more. And then the fact that he actually did it on like a, a piece of wood was uh, fascinating to me. So it's just like, okay, how the hell do I get this thing framed now? Because it's yeah. just so damn cool. Um, so I'll figure out a way to do it. But I was so happy that that came in and of course it's made out of wood so there was no damage to it in the Mm -hmm. shipping you know like the cardboard did more than enough and he actually wrapped it in bubble wrap so he did a good job at packing it and uh, yeah it looks awesome man so uh, excited to show you guys that in the next upcoming months like maybe the next three months or so Uh, Mm -hmm. once the book gets finished and we launch a kickstarter for it uh, that's when i'll start revealing the variant covers i think i already have two other ones on top of that so this kickstarter is actually going to have four variants on it which Ooh. is yeah which is i've only done that one other time and it was because i had a piece that i kind of forgot about and the artist started advertising it and i was like oh shit well i guess this one's going on well, the kickstarter too four and it is yeah, yeah. <laughs> so uh, this one's going to have four uh four total mine and three variants so if you guys are into variant covers this that's gonna be a kickstarter for you boy do i have a kickstarter for you motherfucker yeah (laughs) i got a lot of cool artists on it i got like a retro artist someone back from the 80s actually worked Mm. on star wars drink up i i have two kind of sub notes off of that which is number one a fun fact about so number one I, i didn't know that you didn't know that he does his stuff on wood like that was something yeah. that, that we knew a while ago at Invader because that's just part of his jam, you know. But fun fact, someone who backed um, the Animals Kickstarter actually gifted me the original art. So oh, I shit. I am actually going to get that mailed to me pretty soon and I'm going to get my original art to the Animals Kickstarter, which um, for those of you out there that don't know, it's like this killer, like it's like blue trees and a red like coyote with its mouth like extra wide open. It's the Kickstarter only cover, the variant cover to Animals number one. So was that like one of the reward tiers and then someone Mm -hmm. backed it? The original art. We want this. We want you to have this. Yeah. 
Yeah, totally. Totally. I mean, and, and that's look, that's what we do with with you, right? With the with the Kadoja Kickstarters, which, by the way, we're probably going to have the issue three one up in September at some point. So that's right around the corner for Symphony of Madness issue three. But yeah, for all of, you know, that's one of the things we do with Daniel, right? Like he does the cover. And one of the perks we give him is you can we'll make a tier with your original art and someone can buy it. And, uh, and yeah, man, he's done some really killer shit. Dude, that's freaking awesome. Very cool. Yeah, yeah. Fun, fun note number two. It turns out that I'm going to the Colorado Festival of Horror, October, uh, September 15th through the 17th. I thought I wasn't in, but it turns out I'm in, and I am tabling uh-huh. next to the kind and gentlemanly Daniel Crozier. Oh, I'm hanging out with him. Kill yeah. It. Yeah, yeah. So so for those of you in the Denver area or a short drive or a long drive, who who cares? From Denver, we're going to be in, I think it's a Marriott sort of south of the city where they're going to be holding the convention. So, you know, sort of the Monster Palooza of Denver or Monster Palooza is the Colorado Festival of Horror of California. I'm not sure. Oh. Chicken to the egg, baby. But all I know is it's a cool horror festival. There's going to be cool guests and I am going to be there selling cool stuff. So So, yeah, man, I'm excited for that. Hell yeah. Um, and yeah. I also already have the cover idea for uh, Kadoja Symphony of Madness 3. So Hell yeah. Got that got that locked in the brain. I'm going to... Well, and we uh, know we got the interior, so... <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I got it. Um, I'll, I'll do a little a little something something i'll send it your way once once some time frees up so uh yeah, you know yeah. obviously no, you'll give me the deadline when you need it by and then yeah. that's when shit will start moving for um, sure for sure so yeah let's let's get to my second thing mm-hmm. which was the other instance of fighting through some creative block a little bit it it's not as interesting as the first example but we're in the second novel now so this is about the second novel and while i was writing that so i'm continuing to crank out 500 words minimum a day And I got to a point where I wrote a scene and like, I did not know where the novel was going. Even when I finished this scene, I was like, this just feels like it's sort of meandering and rearranging deck chairs. Like I I knocked out my words, but I didn't feel feel like it was really driving anywhere. Hmm. So I said, you know what I need? I need to take a break. I need to take a one day break. I'm going to not write anything. And instead, I'm going to sit down with a journal because because one of the, the most common things I do is. I sort of know where the end is and I know what my big scenes that I want to be on the way to that are, but maybe I get stuck a little bit too much into the rules I've set up for myself in this book. So I said, you know, fuck all that. What are the scenes you know you want in this book from this point out? Like, what are the big things you want to happen? So I just, I I took a journal, I took my journal, I took a pen and I just wrote them out. I wrote out like this thing happens, that thing happens, that thing happens, this thing happens. Then I sort of filed them in chronological order. And then there there we went. So it, it turned out that there was a real legit reason that I had been stuck where I was because the place where I am in the novel doesn't have a ton going on where you know, stuff out in the, in the, you know, coming soon in the novel along the way to the end, there's a lot of stuff along the way. So that helps me because it helps me understand the structure of my novel, because I think I was a little too rigid. I'm not going to talk about it on the podcast, but there was a structure that I had in mind for this book. And what this is telling me is that structure may not work and that I'm just going to write it like this. And if I need to rearrange the structure, then I will. Um, so anyway, so it, it, it worked. Uh, the next day I was back writing and I'm writing now and I'll just keep on plugging through and, and get this novel done at one point or the other and then see what, what the novel tells me. Um, you know, the rewrite might involve 
rearranging as well. So, uh, so we'll see where that goes. Um, and then I, I wanted to mention another thing for those of you out there that are, you know, not only writing comics, but you're writing uh, novels or prose as well. Um, so a, a note on first drafts. I'm not that concerned about how good my sentences are in the first draft because because they might get cut and and I learned that the last time you know like it was a lot of work editing sentences to make them sound good for like workshop and shit like that but when you really think about it it's wasted effort because you may cut that and and in writing this novel so far I am of the opinion that I am going to cut half of it maybe I cut less but I'm going into it knowing Keith you're probably going to write about 80,000 words and cut 40 of them so why, and I don't know what 40, so why would I put that much effort into making a sentence killer when it's got a 50-50 shot of being cut? You know, so are those rules firm? Of course they aren't. They're just guidelines I'm giving myself like we always talk about all the time. But I think everything is in the interest of just writing free, figuring out the story, because that's the thing I haven't figured out, getting through it, and then worrying about making the words, you know, the sentences nice. Um, and it, it ties back to what I talked about last week, right? The hardest thing to do is just put something into existence. Does that mean I'm, I'm, you know, not trying to make my sentences in the moment as good as they could possibly be? I mean, of course I am, right? But, but that's good enough for now because I need to figure out what the story is and what the novel is. And then I can proceed forward with trying to make the sentences amazing. Because if, if I cut half or even less than half, if I cut 20, 30%, I'm going to have a lot more writing in front of me. But at least I'm going to have a great direction on the writing. And then I will get to what the actual novel is in rough form, what the actual story is. And then in subsequent edits and passes, that is when it's time to make the sentences as kick-ass as possible. Right. You know, the, um, what you just said reminded me, like, why am I, why am I going to waste the time making this sentence as killer as possible if I'm going to cut it? Well, like... I guess the art equivalent that I've been dealing with lately is when I've been working on Paradise Hills, I work on them in two different specific layers, like final layers. There's the background layers and then the character layers. So mm-hmm. it's just what I want to be able to move the characters around in the scene. Um, so I'm making sure that they're not on the same layer. And in doing so, what I've been able to do is get the basic layout the composition of each panel down and then before i go into the detailing of the backgrounds i go well where are the characters going to be like Mm -hmm. like i've been talking about the backgrounds in paradise hills is very involved they're very very involved i'm using tons of reference photos for them so it's going to look you know uh, my initial thought on it it's a pixar storytelling with studio ghibli style art right so but Mm -hmm. when i what i mean when i say that is it doesn't mean i'm drawing like like a manga or anime style, what I mean is the backgrounds are fully detailed, heavily detailed, and you have cartoony characters. So mm-hmm. I'm doing that in my own flavor. Um, but there were a couple of scenes where I was like, shit, this this background is crazy. And I have mm-hmm. to, uh, you know, my friend, she was sending me photos of her background or her backyard, mm-hmm. you know, very cool. sexy. Man. Oh, yeah. Let me see that background. Um, let me see that backyard, girl. You need, you need to you need to mow that lawn. <laughs> it's looking crazy back there. <laughs> Got weeds, weeds on weeds on weeds. Um, so, but I would have to basically make up. She would send me a section, and I'm like, I like the angle. I got a lot of information there, but yeah. 
you know, like she has things in her back backyard that I just didn't want in there. She has a, um, it's kind of like a, uh, like, I don't think it's called a gazebo. It's just a, kind of like a, um, a uh, uh, overhang essentially okay. th- that they oh, yeah, yeah, put yeah. together right like mm-hmm. you can buy it at the store you put them together you know so yeah, she has a couple yeah. of those in her backyard i'm like i don't want that but it blocks a lot of the background out or the you know like the the bushes and stuff like that mm-hmm. the rest of the the cement blocks and everything so i just i'm an artist so i know how to make yeah. shit up so i'm like okay yeah. i can see how the beginning part of it is done okay i see the dimensions i could see where the vanishing points are with this background mm-hmm. okay just create your vanishing points do your your you know straight lines or whatever and then go over it with your detailing and make it up so mm-hmm. i'm in the process of doing this and i'm like wait a minute there is four people in the scene in the foreground they're going to be eating up a lot of background what am i doing so i stop mm-hmm. that part of the process and i rough them in where they're going to be and i'm like holy shit this is going to save me so much more time so yeah. you know if you do all that planning you think about the process before you just get into it why am i going to make these sentences killer if they're not going to even be seen and you Absolutely. know so so that's what i'm dealing with that so it's just like cool i don't have to do a thousand potted plants, giant bushes and everything like mm-hmm. that. You know, I got some heads in the way. The big mayor McCheese where you can climb up the ladder inside and then crawl around. I'm dating myself. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember that? Those those old McDonald's playgrounds? Yes. Yes. Yeah. There. You know what I'm talking about? There was the big mayor McCheese and then, uh-huh. the, the you know, his head is a burger. Yeah. And you could actually climb up and then like kind of crawl around the, the cir- it, it was like a very low altitude space needle. like you're like five feet and you just you're looking out over the mcdonald's playground from the grill of mayor mccheese at all directions (laughs) anyway as you can tell the beer is totally kicked in um okay so uh to my third and last thing um i was doing some studying you know i talked about i think i talked about this on the podcast if not i've talked about it at nauseum with friends at how i have my storytelling has improved over the years. Over the years, I'm very happy with my storytelling. I think it's pretty strong, um, and that's because I do interiors nonstop. That's what I've been doing for mm-hmm. ten years. Um, where I feel like I need more improvement is like structure. You know, it's just like yeah, I know a lot of the basic stuff, but there's certain things where you can't improve unless you're practicing, unless you're you know studying and all those things. And I haven't felt like I've been doing that enough lately. And so mm-hmm. that was another revelation that I had at San Diego Comic Con. There's just so many things that was going were going through my head during the show that's mm-hmm. translating now into better production, better art, and better work ethic overall. Um, mm-hmm. So I've been doing quick gesture drawings um, this past week just to try to get some speed down. And it's just a good exercise to do. And you can just practice different, uh, you know, forms of the human, different angles, all of those things. And on top of that, I have gotten back to doing some head sketches in the morning or like right before I start drawing, um, you Mm -hmm. know, whatever time that may be, depending on what's going on that day. Um, So I've done a couple already and it's nice to just get back in the groove and actually work on the paper again. And uh, but yeah, doing doing this studying is helping a lot. Honestly, I think it's helping with my interiors as well. I think it's speeding up the interior part of the work as well. Um, Mm -hmm. Just constantly drawing and uh, putting more hours in. The more hours you put into this, you know, the more you'll get out of it. Yeah, I mean, that's that all makes sense. That that goes back to your your fishbowl head theory, right? Like expanding that bowl and understand. And, and I think that's very self aware. 
to understand that that you're at the spot where like this is all you can do. You know, I've I've said this about me and music. I, I do feel like I'm either at or approaching the spot where I simply I'm simply doing everything I can do, and for me to get better, I need to study more. Now, my answer to that is fuck studying. <laughs> you know what I'm going to do is I'm going to play my same style, but I'm going to put it through a distortion pedal and then that's going to be metal and then that's going to work. Um, but, you know, like I, I again, that's we're, look, we can talk about music theory. So all, all you out there, you ever want to hear me continue this conversation, come up to me at a con and I will. But, you know, we have precious limited time on this podcast. So anyway, I, I totally get it. And I and I admire you for taking that time to get better at your craft. So so bravo to you. And it'll it'll result in even better shit going down the road. Well done. Um, so let's get to my final thing, which is just a couple quick kind of tidbit things, which is um, today I actually just got the inked pages back, uh, pages six through ten from Three Protectors number two. So this is from the manga artist. Um, the end goal will be for him to do about 30 pages of Three Protectors number two, because I have a little over 20 from another artist, uh, Mark Nosler, who has uh, worked with me on some past projects and actually did some of the interiors in Three Protectors number one. And uh, and yeah, so we've got some Mark Nosler stuff already in the can, and uh, I got these very cool pages. I okayed them, and now I'll just get them back for for gray tones, and we're good to go. So it was cool to see that. And then the other thing is, you know, I, I think this was this was my version of being inspired by something, <clears throat> and I recorded a podcast recently and uh, it's live now in fact it's live as we are recording this so when when this airs it will have been around for a while but there's a cool podcast out there called all new all different number one podcast and i think it goes by like on instagram i think it's a n a d like one you know podcast but i was um i i recorded a really fun interview with dan uh from the podcast about animals and just talking about animals and he he had flattering things to say. Look, he was giving me market information that I don't even know. So he was like, did you know? Like, how did, He said, how does it feel to know that Animals has sold out of every comic shop? Now, internal oh, Keith, internal Keith was like, really? External Keith was like, great. <laughs> <laughs> so like you're, he was giving me news right then and there. So it's great to hear. It was great to hear kind words about animals. He was talking about how friends have come up to him and said, dude, this animals book's cool. I tried to get it in my local shop and like nobody has it. Nobody has it anywhere. So, mm. you know, it's hey, it's still out there if you know where to find it. Mainly, I think as of right now, the invader site has some copies. I have some copies. So didn't mean to turn this into a plug, but it's it's worth noting. Yeah, it's OK. But doing that made me really want to step up like the man, I need to get issue two out of there, you know, out, out there. And, um, you know, this this is a great, in a way, this might turn into a little bit of a longer conversation, right? Because one of the tough things about being an indie writer is you're paying for pages. And like in your case, Scott, your allocation involves time. In my case, my allocation involves money. And the plan had always been do animals number one, get that out in the world, you know, get going on animals number two, release it in the first quarter of 2024, something like that. Right. But even that's probably ambitious, given how given how soon we have to get the book to diamond for solicitation, you know, months in advance. 
and and like the, you know the the one thing that's tough you know this this goes back to something i talk about with my kid when 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 any of my kids would fence if they ever fenced on the day that we were planning to travel out of town in, a, in another city i would always either book the latest flight possible out of town or book a flight the next day because the one thing i don't want to do is plan against success you know like i want to plan assuming you are winning the whole fucking thing and we're going to be there till 10 p.m. on Sunday night or whatever it's going to be, right? And so for this, I think that was a little bit of an oversight. What I didn't plan for properly enough was for this book to be like a minor low-key hit, right? But but a sold-out book that people are eager to read issue two of. Because issue two is not coming out for a little while. So now it's on me to increase the the pages coming out of Animals 2. And to that point, I went ahead and contacted the artist that I had in mind for Animals Number 2. He said he's interested. I have ordered a test page already. So assuming that test page comes back, we're just going to run and I will figure it out later and I'm going to try to get the art to Animals Animals 2 done as quickly as possible so that we can get that second issue out into the world. Yeah, that's um, a different version of writing where the heat is because... It was unexpected, like you said. You were like, hey, I'm putting this book out, and turns out everyone loves it. So you're mm-hmm. like, oh, shit, that's where the heat is. But yeah. like you said, you weren't expecting it. That wasn't something you had planned for. Um, but it's also a great problem to have. So it's just like, oh, shit, well, I better get moving on this and, and get it done. I can't remember. We've done so many podcasts. Is the writing done for animals? Too? It is. It is. Okay. And, and so this is, this is a bit of a calculated gamble because the writing is done for Animals too. The script is with Mike right now for editorial review. I haven't heard back yet, but I'm just going to commission the test page and see where it goes. It's actually the second page of Animals number two. What, you know, it's a calculated gamble, but I think it's a fine gamble because if Mike comes back with notes on it, I don't think they're going to be like, burn this whole scene. It's going to be like, I don't like where the dialogue's going, blah, blah, blah. Dialogue problems are easy to fix very yeah, late, totally. right? It's one page. I think we'll be okay. I expect to get the notes back soon and then we'll we'll go from there. But um, but yeah, so so something that's important is make sure you sort of incorporate the plan for success in there. And And given that... We'll see where this goes, but like, I wouldn't be surprised if this book I'm writing, if, if Mike ends up liking it, if, if it ends up going well, you know, the time travel comic, um, I will probably plan on delaying that as long as possible, even as I get the art in and just trying to release the three issues of the comic in as close an order as possible that works for me, you know? So, I mean, I, I had a random thing. I told my, I told Eden this the other day. Because I was starting to write some fucked up stuff for the time travel comic. And I was like, you know, this book is either going to be a bucket of shit that nobody gets or it's going to win a fucking Eisner. I don't know which way it's going. <laughs> like, like it is it is very it is highly variable on that. You know, like if people connect with it and a lot of that is on me as the writer for people to connect with it, then like I, I think I think it's just out there and I think it's great. Um, but there's also a chance it completely falls on its face and goes, you know, completely unignored or completely ignored for its duration. So it's on me to try to to try to go toward the top line of that instead of the bottom line. But boy, what a wide range of outcomes for this book, because it is it is definitely the strangest thing that I have written uh, in my life. So I'm excited about it because I love strange and we'll see where it ends up going. Hell yeah, dude. Um, was that your last thing or do you have one more thing? It was. Yeah. Okay. I do have one more thing that I just realized I had done in the middle of the week randomly. 
Um, I was in the middle of something. Doesn't really matter what I was doing. Something hit me. A story idea for basically part of an origin story of one of the characters in Second Shift or two of the characters in Second Shift. And I basically knew the motivation of... I know the motivation of all of these characters, but as our editor has told me, I don't have that in the book yet. And Ed and I have been planning on doing so. It just was like, okay, we're going to do this storyline, then we're going to do this storyline, and then we're going to get to that. So we hadn't gotten to it yet, but to his point was like, hey, look, we're already 12 issues in, and we don't have, like, the motivation for these characters. And mm-hmm. I'm just like, right on, okay, that's that's totally valid, I get it. You know, we can do this issue zero thing where I basically go back and, uh, you know, do issue zero, you read it before issue one, then you know their motivations, and move on, move forward, everything is good, right? So, um, in the middle of this session, the idea hit me for part of an origin story for one of these characters. And it's a very basic, basic desire to do what they're doing. And so, but I was like, I can do that right now. I was like, you know, like my initial thought was, I don't have my iPad. And I was like, oh yeah, mm-hmm. there's paper right all o- all around me. Let me grab some paper. <laughs> what am I going to do? <laughs> I don't have my iPad. I just grabbed some computer paper, folded it in half. And I was like, let me just... Let me just lay this out as simple as possible. And I was like, I'm really happy with this. Like, I like the pacing of it. I like the idea of it all. It conveys everything that you would really need to know about the motivation of these two characters. It's very simple, and it gets the job done. Now, the beauty of this was I, I sent it over to Ed, and uh, he's like, is this for issue zero? And I was like, potentially. This could be for mm-hmm. issue zero, or this could be a plug-and-play. When mm-hmm. I redo, um, so I have a plan. I eventually want to redo f- a few things. Like I talked about the hardcover. Um, I've never did a Kickstarter for the second volume. So I just kind of print those out as I go. As soon as I f- go through them all, I just get more printed and, and so on and so forth. So I was thinking, I was like, you know, at some point I can really do this the way I, I want to. And I can simply plug these four pages in, in the front of an issue. Like I can do these four pages, throw it right in front of issue seven, which would actually work out to be the new number one. And you get the motivation right away. Then you hop into a story and you go, you go on um, through the book like this. I can keep doing little four page stories of each of the characters, throwing it in front of an issue and then just keep moving forward. So you get the motivation of everyone, but you don't lose a whole issue just talking about people's origins. Um, I'm, I'm one of the, I'm one of the, I'm a type of creator that likes to jump around a lot. Like I don't want to just have one storyline. Like I need a A plot and I need a B plot, sometimes a C plot. So for me to have these little origins spliced throughout, it kind of changes it up without having to do too much. So um, I'm really interested in doing that with the other characters in the book and seeing how that works out. But overall, I'm, I'm really excited about it because I think I can squeeze that stuff in uh, here and there because the layouts are simple enough. And if I'm just like getting ahead of projects, so like right now with the new revamped schedule of my workflow for the year, it's like, oh shit, I actually, as soon as I knock out Paradise Hills, I basically have a month and a half to kind of 
figure things out, do what I want to do, mm -hmm. I can get ahead of these other projects. And if I keep getting ahead of these other projects, that means I'll have more room to do other things at the end of the year. You know, so mm -hmm. the, the goal is to always get more things out, to have, you know, more product out, have more storylines out for me. Um, I know, like, as much as I love doing Paradise Hills and Wanderers and all of that, Second Shift is really my favorite thing to work on. And so, you know, getting notes back from Mike about, you, you know, like, hey, here's the editorial stuff that I see what's going on here that needs some work. It's just like, okay, well, with that information, I want to implement that. But I, I don't want to um, have to, like, start over or anything like that mm -hmm. or, or necessarily get rid of everything, you know, like, or certain issues. It's like, okay, well, you really kind of don't need this or that. It's just like, okay, well, you know, for me, more story is always better. Like, to learn yeah. more about the character for me is really cool. I Like, I want to mm -hmm. know as much as possible. It's like, no, we don't need a stream like this so you only get the information that you quote-unquote need. It's their mm -hmm. Each book is their character's life. Like, mm -hmm. every day of someone's life, even if you don't do anything that's like, I didn't save the world today, but I did this other cool shit, it's cool to mm -hmm. see that other stuff, you know what I mean? So, um, for me, it's kind of like, well, let's fine-tune this, let's get rid of stuff here, let's add stuff there, and then we mm -hmm. can make this all work, and, and uh, it'll be, at the end of it all, I'll be very happy with what I have accomplished. Yeah, I think that's sharp. I think that's um, that's a cool way of doing it. I, I, I would, you know, if I was being super reductive, I would almost call that like the Tom King method, right? Because I think, and and I haven't, I haven't read a lot of Tom King stuff, but it feels like one of his particular gifts is that he can take two storylines that are linear and then stack them on one on top of the other so that they both sort of build that drama through time. Because it's also, it's also kind of Kurt Vonnegut, like Vonnegut did it first with Slaughterhouse-Five of taking a couple linear threads you know, chopping them all up into tiny pieces and then just throwing them all around the room and then, you know, picking it up and telling that as a story. So, but I think that's cool. I think telling the origins in four page increments, however you want to do it, a redone volume two, um, the next issue you do, like who fucking cares, right? Like there's, there's always time to get going on that. And, uh, and man, so yeah, that's, it's really fun. It's a cool part of the creative journey. And I, I think you're, uh, I think you got some heat there, man. It sounds really cool. Thanks. Yeah, yeah. So let's get to our main topic. And uh, it's worth noting, it's worth noting that the magic topic, which we have not gotten to yet from five episodes ago, continues to astound and amaze. Because that was going to be the thing we talked about, but then something happened to me yesterday, and I actually reached out to Scott on it, and then I think you may have asked a probing question or two, like, do you want to make this the topic or something like that? Or maybe, you know, like, blah, blah, blah. I think I said, I don't want to bring this part up on the podcast, but I want to bring this part up on the podcast. And you were like, yes, I totally get it, but I think you should bring this part up on the podcast. And now not only am I going to bring it up, we're going to make it the main uh, topic, which is something we may have hinted at in our first 142 episodes, but never really devoted as like a main topic for a few minutes, which is handling rejection. Rejection is pretty much going to happen to all of us in the indie game. I can't say for sure whether the, you know, like here's, here's an interesting thing to, here's an interesting kind of philosophical question, Right. Do the people who have become diehard indie, are they diehard indie because they woke up on day one of their lives and said, I'm punk rock, I'm pressing up cassettes myself, and I'm indie? 
is that how it started or was it more like nobody gave them an audience and then they said fuck it I'll do it myself you know like I am of the opinion that it's number two you know there was a great line I heard in a comic-con panel you know 12 years ago you know whenever it was before i'd even written a comic and the person talked about if if the people up on the hill aren't letting you into their club build another club of your own on the opposite hill (laughs) right and i thought that was such a great way of putting it so anyway to get back to this you know rejection is something that i think we all deal with I I just can't imagine a single person, a single creator that has not dealt with not only rejection, but a severe majority of the things they do involving rejection, right? Like if you're going to put your stuff out to the people in power, to the people that are the gatekeepers of the industry in a lot of ways, you're probably going to get rejection. You're definitely going to get it to start unless you're a savant. And we're not here to talk to the savants. We're here to talk to the other 90, 999 people in a thousand. So, you know, like I look, I could give some some stories on me in the music industry on how like when I went to college in Nashville, one of the reasons I went to college in Nashville, again, this is a summary, was to have access to all the major labels. And because I have no restraint, I got meetings with every single one of them. I handed in my demo. Right. And uh, and none of them bought it. None of them wanted it. They all gave me notes. And then I ended up going indie, right? So, so maybe this is a little bit self-informed from how I did stuff in the, in the music industry. But you're going to get rejected because I did. I got, I got rejected then. I've been rejected ever since. And what particularly spurred this on was a rejection that I didn't expect to quite hit me as hard as it did. And that was that um, something I don't think I've shared on the podcast is that I've continued to submit my novel manuscript to agents. And I have had two agents who have requested full reads. So the way that the, the, the novel game works is most agents want a small portion of your novel to see if you can write five pages, 10 pages, maybe 30. Some of them even go as far as 30. And, uh, and you know, that's the original submission. But when you, so once they read that, they're either going to say, yeah, I want to see the whole thing. Or they're going to say, sorry, I'm not interested. So I'm happy to say that, you know, up until recently, I had two people that had requested the whole thing and I was just waiting to hear back from them. Well, I heard back from the one yesterday and she was like, after reading it, I've decided, you know, I'm not interested. And, uh, and you know, I, I dropped the exact text of the, the rejection to Scott and it said something like, you know, I, I just can't connect with it enough to really want to sell it. You're, you're a talented writer and I wish you the best. So as, as we record this, I've actually sent a note out to my mentor because what I'm trying to ask, what I'm trying to glean from him is how much of that is meaningful and how much of that is just softly worded rejection? Because I'm sure you can guess this from Scott and I that we are results people. So you can tell me all the things you want to tell me, but if you don't want to represent me, then the thing I come away with is you don't want to represent me. I wash everything away. I take a pressure washer to every single other thing you said, and I I wash it down the drain because to me, I'm a results guy. But I think this prompted, you know, this this good kind of text back and forth between Scott and I about, about talking about it and about talking about you all dealing with it. It's natural. It happens to everybody. Anybody who's read On Writing by Stephen King, Stephen King used to keep a nail above his bed when he was a kid because he first started 
submitting fiction when he was 13 or something like that to magazines. He kept a nail, maybe above his bed, maybe on his wall. And back in the day, they used to give you rejection slips. So he'd get a rejection slip, he'd tack it to the wall. He ended up having to like throw away or or store, you know, two inch long stacks of rejection slips just to make room for the next ones. It's normal. You know, like I, I can't remember the number exactly, but I'm pretty sure that the Beatles got rejected by something like 42 record labels before Apple Records said, yeah, yeah, let's give it a go. Yeah, I think Todd McFarlane said he somewhere between 100 and 100 or 150 to 200 rejection letters that he got. And he just kept plugging away, you know, just like some gave him a glean as to what they didn't like about it. Some was just like, Mm -hmm. sorry, we're not interested. But he just kept improving, improving, improving until he actually started getting mainstream work. So it's all about that resilience that you have. And, and, you know, like you had said at the beginning of this, this isn't for the savants. So, Gary, you can Mm -hmm. just stop listening. Gary Hodges. (laughs) Gary Hodges. Fast forward to bring in the bullshit or something. Yeah. Yeah. You're done. You you don't deserve to listen to this. You're just too damn good. Yeah, exactly. Too damn good. Hey, hey, why are you still listening? We We told you. We knew you weren't going to listen. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, so so yeah, to your point, it's it's um you know very normal. It happens to all of us. Like you know, whether it be from a publisher or just even people maybe that read your book and didn't care for it or whatever. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's just like you have to move on from it. You take the information. You don't ignore the information. But it's up to you to be able to take it in, really absorb what they're saying to you, and mm-hmm. just figure out what you need to do next to improve you know, yeah. uh, your next book, whatever the next thing, your next Absolutely. novel, your next comic, whatever you're doing next, make sure that you're taking that information. You know, don't, it, it's hard to say when, when you first start doing this, because this is all, uh, this is all for the love of the game. A lot of the times, right? Mm-hmm. Like we love comics so much. If you guys didn't know this information right now, I'm going to tell you in comic books, you don't make a lot of money. So it's, it's, <laughs> Unless you're the top one percent of the creators out there, you're not going to make a lot of money doing this. Yeah. So, and we, and actually, the funny thing is, Scott and I are we're actually recording this next to each other on our Burberry covered mm-hmm. helicopter. Yeah, yeah. We we have helicopters. We land them on our mansions. Yeah, yeah. The, all of we, the indie we, money. We had some test runs where we put too much twenty four karat gold in them, but they yeah. kept crashing. You know when we talk about our our crises that we go through when we're at shows, we're like, we haven't made $10,000 yet. It's exactly, only day exactly. one. How, how are we going to pay for the gas in the Burberry helicopter <laughs> if we don't continue to make the amount of money we're used to? Right. Anyway, sorry. Please continue. Yes. So, you know, we're doing this for the love of the game because we love the process. We love comic books. We grew up with them. And, um, you know, or, or if you're doing any other creative arts, a lot of the time it's, you know, painting, etc. cetera. Um, mm-hmm. You're doing it because you love it. So um, the, motiva- the motivating factor beyond trying to be in that 1% is to improve that product. You know, mm-hmm. it's, hard, it's hard to say don't take it to heart because yeah. it is a labor of love. But it's something you need to learn how to do. It's just like like we've been talking about in the last few weeks. We do so many conventions that when we say, hey, are you interested in indie comics? And it goes, eh, no thanks. Or they just don't look at you or don't respond to you and walk away. That used to hurt mm-hmm. my feelings before. It doesn't anymore. It doesn't even phase mm-hmm. me. Because yeah. you build a thick skin to the process and you just know what the process is. So eventually yeah. – 
you know, the rejection that you get from, you know, publishers or other creators like saying, hey, this isn't very good or you need to work on this or, or whatever they say. Who knows? Um, you just need to take the information in. Try not to be offended by the information because more than likely, unless you're like. Eric Larson, who is very harsh from what I hear. Mm -hmm. I have not gone to Eric Larson for this very reason. I will never show my stuff to Eric Larson because <laughs> I don't, because I really love, I love Eric Larson. You keep Larson. your fucking eyes off my stuff. Yeah. 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 I love Eric Larson. So I don't want to be like torn down by one of my like childhood mm -hmm. hero heroes. So, um, but you know, you have to basically hope that the, the place they're coming from is them just wanting you to improve just like hey this is what i see this is what you need to work on and move forward mm -hmm. you know so it's all about keeping those emotions in check and realizing they're here to help you they're not here to hurt you yeah i i think that's a great point and, and hive mind strikes again because the the fulcrum that all of this hinges on for you to handle rejection properly is honesty with yourself mm-hmm the the answering the honest question you ask yourself in moments like this, which is, is my work the problem? Because if your work is the problem, you then need to improve it and address it. And we've all been there. And we all will be there. Every single person out there, even people that make I, I've, I've mentioned this before, but it's worth mentioning again. People that sell tons of copies that are well-known, popular authors, comic creators, whatever, they still go through this same stuff. And on one hand, you could make the argument and say like, oh, they're, yeah, but what do they care? They're making a lot of money. Yeah, that's why the stakes are higher because that's how they pay their mortgage, right? That's how they make a living. There might even be a cottage industry based around them full of people that are marketing just their stuff. They have hired full-time people to market their stuff. So the stakes are higher and the pressure is greater. And so when, look, self-doubt is always going to creep in, but that's where the self-honesty of what of mine needs to improve and what of mine is just their personal preference and I move on. Yeah, one of the... One of the people that I was studying was uh, Dave Finch. I was actually watching a Proco video where Dave Finch was guesting on there and he was drawing. And uh, it was interesting to, to hear because you have essentially two masters of their own crafts um, talking to each other. And uh, Finch is essentially drawing Proco and one of his mates um, as like a hero and a villain. And, you know, Finch is like, this is where it's going to get dicey. I'm not a caricaturist, so I hope mm -hmm. this is going to look enough like you for you to be good with it, but that's just not my strength. Mm -hmm. And so as the conversation was going on, the piece was looking awesome. And Finch was like, I'm just, I'm so sorry. Like, I, I wish this looked more like you. And then Proko's like, wait, do you think this looks bad? And, and Finch is like, yeah, that's, I've been answering your questions, but mostly I've been thinking about how terrible this is going. And mm -hmm. Proko, Proko says to his audience, like, Guys, this right here is proof that it doesn't matter how good you get. You still mm -hmm. have self-doubt. It doesn't yeah. matter. Like, look how amazing this piece is. And he thinks it looks bad. Yeah. And 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 so, you know, at the highest level, it still happens to you. And, and like we've said on the last few episodes, if you don't think your stuff needs improvement, if you think you're the shit, 
Yeah. You need to take a harder look because more than likely yeah. there's going to be some shit wrong, wrong there. You know, it's exactly. just like everyone needs to uh, look at their things, self-reflect and go, okay, what's good? What's bad? Like really take the image. If you haven't done it already, artists uh, specifically, take your image, flip it, mirror it, look at it, um, smack it up, flip it and rub, rub it, it down. down. Oh no. You're going to find out what's good <laughs> and what's bad. So um, make sure you're doing that. Uh, take your image. Um, if you're working on paper, bring it up to the window. Um, look through the back of it. And then you're going to see all the errors you did not see before. And mm -hmm. th this is something that happened to me when I was younger. I found out that trick and I did it. And I was like, well, just don't do that. Like in my head, I was just like, well, just don't do that. And then you won't see the yeah. problems, you know, like then it doesn't look bad. But like, because mm -hmm. I was way too young to really understand. It's like, no, you have to fix it. It's It, it looks mm -hmm. good to one part of your brain. But when you flip it, you really see the the mistakes, the errors and, and whatnot. So uh, yeah. make sure you're doing that. Stay proactive on it. And um, don't settle. Don't think that yeah. your shit don't stink and you don't need any improvement. You do. You know, you might be really good. I'm not saying that you're not good. I don't know mm -hmm. that. I, I'm not looking at your work. But just keep that in mind when you look at your stuff. Be humble. Have some humil humility. Um, just like Keith's beer. Yeah. Be humble. Be humble. <laughs> Sit down. Be was humble. that what was, was on your can? Was it humble? Or, or was it was like... No. A, I don't even remember. I, I actually... Look at, look at fact, your bottle. Well, look at your no, bottle. No, I, I don't have the bottle because I decided not to drink all 12 ounces because I wanted to keep from hurting myself. Oh, so damn, you I stopped up. around nine or 10. Well, maybe I keep going. Maybe I walk back down the next time you talk and finish it up. But yeah, I think you should. I want you to be hammered by the time, by the time we're in bringing the bullshit, you don't need to make sense. Fine, fine. The next time you go on a long-winded thing, we'll go. But, but I, we, we do need to finish this up. So you're first bringing the bullshit. Yes. But I wanted to, to mention, you know, everything you're talking about here. Um, there's a post on my Instagram I did a few days ago, and it's very relevant here. Here's the quote. There is not one piece of artwork I have ever done that lived up to the vision I had for it in my head. That's why I keep on trying. That is Jim Steranko. A giant of, of art in comics. And That's he's great. sitting there saying, nothing I've ever done in my life has been as good as the thing in my head before I drew it. So, you know, so that's, you know, before we bring it to, to the way that I resolve this in my own head and the way that, you know, I think you have the freedom to resolve. I just wanted to bring up like what we've been talking about the last five, eight minutes, whatever. It's about having that right level of self-criticality to know when the notes are relevant and when they're not. And you're going to know, right? And and so we can almost create a little checklist here to segue into the end of this segment, which is... Unless you're delusional, because I've met those people. But, but I mean, this is the delusional checklist, right? Like if mm -hmm. people give you notes and, and, they, and they pass on it or they don't want it or something like that, here are some things to ask yourself. Who outside of your friend group has read this and loved it, looked at it and loved it? What kind of feedback have you gotten from those people, right? Like... Like, how often have you consulted those kind of people, people that have no stake in your best interests? What are they saying? Because because that's where I got to on this, on the novel, right? Like, you, you get a note like that, and it hit me hard 
You know, like, in fact, Scott and I had planned on recording last night. Well, I had some other circumstances come up. Which it was more or less anyway. the other circumstances for sure. It was, but but like that said, like the, the other circumstances drove it. But the reason I canceled with you for last night was because I wasn't quite, re- quite ready. I mm. needed an evening to just calm down. So it still hit me hard after all these years, you know, after after countless uh, high toughening in- incidents that happened in my 20 plus year music career and the same things that have repeated themselves in my comics career and my novels career because I know that this novel was workshopped by people who really know what they're talking about and they liked it so when you hit that checklist when you've when you've had all that stuff happen you've had all the feedback I've had you know, eight people read some portion of this book. I've had four people read the full thing, two of which are either professional novelists or professional editors, and they've said it's very good. That's that's where it's time to land on this very, very soft bed of straw and say, hey, this agent didn't want it, but that's not an indictment of the work. It's It's them making a living thinking that there is no market for this. Right. And so where I have landed is that, I mean, I can talk about this in person some other day with people, you know, I don't want to waste podcast time here, but it's given me a plan going forward because I trust the work. I've worked hard. I've gotten it workshopped to death. I've gotten so many people to look at it. I, I, I know it's good. And maybe it's not what the current market wants. And maybe that influences the, the future path of the book. And maybe it gets agented, maybe it comes out another way through an indie publisher or something like that. But more importantly, at the end of the day, I trusted the work and I trusted the work I've put into it. And that's, that's how you handle rejection. You handle rejection, the soft bed of straw that you land on when you get rejections like this is that you know you've done the critical thinking, you've asked yourself all the tough questions, and you've done all the work necessary to know that, hey, this isn't them, this isn't me. It's them. A great quote that I love. I don't even, I'm not even a fan of the band R.E.M., but there's a great quote from Michael Stipe because I used to read a ton of music magazines. And Michael Stipe, R.E.M., just like the Beatles, got rejected by a ton of labels. And he said, you know, there's this right level of delusional you need to be where you just say, when people say it's not right for us, you say, fuck you, you don't know what's good, right? And, and that's the trick, right? It's like the right level of delusion, not the wrong level of delusion. It's the, and, and because it's not delusion, it's confidence. It's confidence saying, yeah, maybe the thing I'm doing doesn't follow current trends, but maybe it ends up being a trend of its own in the future. Sure, time could prove you wrong, but what if time proves you right? Because you've done the work. You've done the work. You've gotten it edited. You've gotten it workshop. So again, in many ways, this comes back to doing the work. You take that rejection, you go in stride, you ask yourself the hard questions. And if the hard questions have already been answered, then you just shrug it off and you keep on going. Yeah. And even the rejection that you got, there was still the acknowledgement from that agent. It was like, you're a very, very talented writer, you know? So even though they weren't the ones to pick the book up, they're not going to represent you. They still credited you for the work you have done and acknowledged you know, that you know what the hell you're doing. It just didn't connect with them personally. So, you know, if something doesn't connect with you, I think it would make it harder for them to sell. So, um, again, it's just their personal preference. It's not necessarily the work that you've done or reflection on the work that you had done. 
Royal Royal. <laughs> this is such the thousand dollar Patreon right here. All right. Okay. So um, Keith has just poured himself the rest of that beverage that he did not finish on the pod. There it is. Look at that little little bottle of elixir right there. Um, so I'm going to hop into bringing the bullshit. Um, one of the things that I had not read, but one of my buddies, um, Chris Edwards, uh, shout out to Chris. He hooked me up with issues one through five of Secret Wars. I believe it was like 2012-ish, maybe 2015-ish. 15, I, I, 2015. 2015. Um, by Jonathan Hickman and Asad Ribic. And I had never read it. He was raving about it. And so he had straight up given me the first like four or five issues and um, something like that. And he goes, hey, the only catch is you have to buy the rest of the series. So mm-hmm. I got them in. So I'm looking forward to to getting uh, through them. The first few issues, man, it was such a fantastic story. That is the creative force be- behind um, the Mighty Thor, I think. Okay. I think it was whichever, uh, whichever the... No, God of Thunder. No, Isad Ribich drew it. Yes. But I think Jason Aaron wrote that one. Oh, was that Jason Aaron? Oh, okay, mm-hmm. okay. I thought it was Hickman. Okay. Yes. You, yes, you were right. Um, so this storyline is freaking amazing. I think this will, this takes place before that Thor series um, because Asad Ribic's yeah. art at times varies. It's like, that's Asad Ribic, and then something he'll draw something. I'm like, that doesn't look like him as much. Um, so I think this was before that series where he was just freaking dynamite throughout. I mean, this still looks really, really great. Um, I'm mm-hmm. really enjoying the story, so I'm looking forward to reading that. Um, and then I talked about it last week or the week before. I started reading Steve Bissett's or picking up Steve Bissett's uh, Tyrant. And mm-hmm. I had grabbed the first three issues. Issue four was an insane amount of money. Um, you can get issue one. Probably now you can get issue one for four, or for 12 bucks, something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, issue two, probably something the same. Um, three, maybe 20, 25 bucks. Issue four was selling for 50 to $95. Because Why? I think it's one of the lowest printed of the series. Oh. So it's, it's harder to get, yeah. Okay. And so I had it on notification on eBay. First thing in the morning, I wake up pretty early, um, get a notification. Hey, someone is selling issues one through four for 50 bucks. Hey, now. Now, I already have one through three, so that's the dilemma. It's like, shit, I already have those, though. I was like, but wait a minute. I've never seen issue four less than $50. So Mm -hmm. I'm just going to get that, and I'm going to have duplicates of one, two, and three. And if, if... if I it, never been a problem for me, but you're if, a funny man, Scott lost. Yeah. 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 Like that was a a problem. But, um, if I ever wanted to go like, well, I want to recoup some of that money, then I can just sell issues one, two, and three, and I'll still have a full set. So, um, yeah. but I'm very happy that I jumped on that before anyone else did because that's mm-hmm. hell of a steal. Um, I never see issue four on eBay. So, uh, I'm psyched to have those. So those, yeah, that's my bringing the bullshit. That's the start of it. There's still more but I'm, I'm going to let you hop in double dutch. So, so it's, it's funny, right? Because this episode, you've brought up secret wars 2015, a few times. And what you've left out of both of those things is that you have, that you told me about secret wars a couple of weeks ago that you basically said, Hey, Keith, like, did you read the 2015 secret wars? And I was like, no, now, anybody listening to the podcast for more than probably 30 episodes knows that Secret Wars was the thing that got me into comics. 
And I uh, have the original run. I have an omnibus of it. It's gorgeous. It's amazing stuff. So you recommended that. And I was like, okay, let me start checking into it. And you were like, you know, you could get lots for full price or something like that, but maybe hunt. Ooh. Look at this. Look at that. What is that? That looks like a pretty thick fucking stack. So this is the first time Scott has heard about this. But basically what I did was I piecemealed Secret Wars because there were lots, but they were too expensive. And then I ended up piecemealing for roughly, you know, like 15 bucks less than the cost of a whole lot. But I'm going to read off the Secret Wars 2015 books that I have here, my friend. Secret Wars 1. Secret Wars 1. Secret Wars 2. Secret Wars 3. Secret Wars 3. Secret Wars 4. Secret Wars 5. Secret Wars 6. And another 6. 7, 8, and 9. Because by piecemealing the lots, I saved money and I ended up getting extra copies. So like the first lot was say, you know, 1... It was basically everything but two and five, right? Or two, three, and five. But but before I had bought that lot, I had actually got a $5 issue one at San Diego Comic-Con a few weeks. Remember when I went oh, all right doom on. happy? Yeah. yeah. Well, this was one of those comics that was rather doom happy because there's a lot of doom in Secret Wars from what I hear. I haven't read it yet. And then I ended up finding another person that had like two, three, and eight. I'm like, well, this is great. Or two, three, and six, whatever it was, right? So there's my extra six. And now I got two and three, but then I had to find five. So then I got five. But here's the funny thing, Scott. The person, I love saving on shipping. Yeah. <laughs> and so if I bought five comics or lots from this guy, I paid nothing on shipping. So looky, looky, I found other Ooh. things. I got Amazing Spider-Man 363. That was a book I did not have, which is part three of the original Carnage arc um, when he when Cletus Cassidy first came in the in the land. Tales of the Umbrella Academy. Ooh. Hazel and Cha Cha Save Christmas. Got that. X Men Two Eighty Three. First full Bishop, my friends. Oh, there you and go. Boy, boy, did I slur Bishop just then. That's okay. Yeah, we're all friends. You get it. Look, you get to uh, ounce number 11 of a 19.2% beer, and then you talk right, okay? And here's the thing. We know Gary isn't listening. Right? No, oh, wait, this he is the, come back the for bullshit bringing part, so he oh, came that's back. Yeah. Well, okay, yeah. Ah, yeah. Fuck it, I'll keep it there. He doesn't like ranch <laughs> dressing. I like ranch dressing. You know, like, that's <laughs> this is my payback. Um, and then I got uh, Haunted by Charlton, number five. Number 27, and all new ghostly tales from Charlton, number 47. And then the person, one of the people, because again, this was three lots, threw in a free Uncanny X-Force number 19 by by your boy Rick Remender. So I'll just Who's read the artist? that. Um, it's by Remender, Rodriguez, and White. That's all oh, it okay. says. Ah, Dean White. Yes, Dean White's yeah. an amazing colorist. He was the colorist on the first arc with, uh... yeah, very cool. Yeah, and then um, the person yeah, he, put, thanks for your order, free book, enjoy. So yeah, so yeah, man, I uh, I there was a lot of bullshit that got brought in. Hell yeah, man! I was going through. Um, I had watched a episode like on a YouTube, and they were talking about. I think it was like Daredevil nine or eleven or some shit like that from a random series, and it was like the first appearance of this random villain. Was, it, was that Echo? No, it's like a Daredevil. random villain. 
Oh, yeah, okay. Daredevil, I think Daredevil nine to... in the in one of the new series was the first Echo, if I remember right. But... Yeah, this one it's it's the first appearance of some random villain, but I guess they're they had been slated to come out in the new show. Uh, Daredevil 11 from 2016. That's the number. Um, so okay. I was like, hey, I'm going to check in SoCal, SoCal's dollar bins to see if it's there. If it's mm-hmm. not there, then I don't care. But mm-hmm. what I did find was um, a copy of, I believe it was Daredevil 190. And it was like the resurrection of um, Elektra. So I was mm. just like, oh, that's... And it was like a dollar. So I was just like, let me look this up real quick. Let me see if this is anything. And it's just like, yeah, it's like a 4 or $5 book that they were selling for a buck. Um, yeah, 190 I was right. Look at that. Oh, look at me with the Boom. Memory. Goes the dynamite. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so that was that was uh, um, in there for a buck, and I grabbed it. And I'm looking forward to looking through it. Um, but, yeah, so that was... Another one of the packages. Oh, there was another book that I've been looking for. I saw this. Okay, I saw this Kickstarter live, like when it was happening, and I hemmed and hawed, and I didn't do it. I think money was a little bit more of an issue then when it was going on. Um, Sean Gordon Murphy, he did had an apprenticeship that he was doing, like where he would people would pay him, I think like two thousand bucks, and they stay with him and his wife in their giant house, has a bunch of rooms um, mm-hmm. for like a month. And he teaches you for a month how to draw, like the in, ins and outs of all of it. And God so damn. he had a whole bunch of apprentices. Um, and then at the end of it, the thing was that they're going to do, I believe, short stories. I haven't received the book yet, but mm-hmm. they were going to do short stories and collect it into a hardcover. And then he was going to do a Kickstarter for it. Just like have his name on it. You know, he's going to have something in it. And um, yeah, have this book out there so they can kind of dip their toes in the comics water straight away. Mm-hmm. And uh, I hemmed and hawed, didn't buy it back in the day. It was a $25 uh, Kickstarter. Um, mm-hmm. But again, money was an issue back then. So I ended up looking it up. I'm like, hey, I never got this thing. And I'm kind of a completionist. I want to see everything from all the creators that I really do enjoy. And mm-hmm. Sean Gordon Murphy being one of them, I was like, oh, yeah, he had this one book, something about cars. And I looked it up. It was basically going for seventy-five to to a hundred dollars, and I'm like, mm-hmm. I love Sean Gordon Murphy. I'm not buying. I'm not spending seventy-five to a hundred bucks on it. Just not doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, ended up finding an auction. An auction popped up. Started at like five bucks. Ended up at forty-four. So I won it at forty-four, mm-hmm. which is you know almost double the price than the original Kickstarter. So guys, just a if you're Hemin and Han, and it's one of your favorite creators. I just say bite the bullet, take throw it on the credit card, deal with it. You know, you'll yeah. you'll you'll pay it off. It's not going to be a big deal in the grand scheme of things. Um yeah. just make sure you're not doing it all the time, right? Like you don't want to yeah, go into exactly. debt. You don't want to go into debt over these things, but if it's one of your favorite creators, I think you can afford it. And um, yeah. I also did that with Ryan Otley who had announced on his Instagram, he goes, "Hey, if you pick up this book, um this hard case sketchbook that I did, I'll throw in, put in this code, and you'll get the secondary sketchbook for free. Mm. And I was like, yeah, you got me at free. Like, <laughs> you, you had me at Ryan Otley. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I, I ended up picking them up. It was, let me, they're right behind me. Hold on a second. Okay, it is The Art of Ryan Otley, Violence and Pigtails. 
and this was released, I think, in like 2014 or something like that, um, as was this little sketchbook. So maybe it wasn't the same exact year. Uh, 2016 for the hardcover, mm. uh, Violence and Pig's t- Pigtails. And so i show this to oh. Keith. Yeah, nice. it's, it's a nice, thick little book. Um, yeah. What's really cool is he has a lot of invincible pieces in it where he shows off the pencils and the inks or like if he does a process, like if he managed to take a photo of the initial process, um, like the layout, the thumbnail, he puts that in there too. So it's really cool. And then there was also, this is the free book. It's basically an ash can and it's a good size. Like there was a lot of pieces in here and um, I really like looking through it and it's called They Bite. So it's a lot of creatures. Um, but he does a lot of, uh, um, like humanoids as well. So it's like humanoid style creatures. So it was really fun. Um, if you guys follow him on Instagram, you'll see all the different kind of creatures that he always draws. Like he just constantly is drawing. He's a, he's a fucking machine. Um, so a lot of those were in there, but it was really cool to see. And I'm really happy with the purchase. That's awesome. That's awesome. Oh, I had another thing and I'd almost forgot it. So I'm going to lump these two final things together, which is. Whenever I was editing the episode where I talked about Overkill and how they're a great model for making comics. So I was doing that and I was like, yeah, you know, Overkill's awesome. I think I need to buy a couple of their albums on vinyl. So I did. (laughs) So I got, this is, uh, you know, Scott can see this, but this is their record, The Years of Decay. I got The Years of Decay and Horse. uh, Castle Grayskull-esque. Totally, totally, man. Overkill's awesome. You know, they've been doing it forever. And uh, I also bought Horror Horror Scope on vinyl, which I think are their two finest albums. And uh, so, yeah, man, it was one of those things of like, I love Overkill so much. I don't have them represented in my record collection. Let's make that a permanent thing. And I... uh, Man, I've been listening to uh, Horoscope over, over and over. Um, Years of Decay actually came through with this massive, like, scratch from the factory. Mm. I bought it, told told the vendor, hey, this is screwed up. They sent me a free replacement. I sent it back, so all good. So that the one that oh, I yeah. just showed you is the good one, mm. and uh, we're good to go. But I wanted to talk about... Another thing, which was I've been I've been just kind of going through my stuff, like what can I get rid of? What don't I love? And I came to I uh, my wife had gotten me and she doesn't care about this kind of stuff. She had gotten me the the set of three Slayer Funko Pops. Right. So Jeff Hahnemann, Tom Araya and Carrie King. The reason there aren't four is because Dave Lombardo and Slayer like sort of. Over, over history have either worked together or hated each other, and mm. we are currently in hate each other period. So Dave Lombardo's doing his own thing, and Slayer, you know, Slayer's retired, but uh, I've had those three Funko Pops forever. I sold them, mm. and I got a pretty decent price for them, and then I mailed them off, and then the person, the person gets them, and I immediately get a claim, right? And the person says... You know, like, hey, eBay's like, the person's given a claim. And then the person says, like, packaged poorly, like, damaged. So one of my dumb little pet peeves is when people make editorial choices about how I packaged it. Dude, like, like, are you sure it was packaged poorly? Or maybe it was just that way, right? So the person ended up complaining about the fact that one of the figures... The figure itself was fine, but the Funko Pop box had this tiny, and I mean tiny, maybe one-eighth inch tear in the top where you open the Funko Pop box. So the person like wanted a full refund. We all know the phrase. If you love something, set it free. If it <laughs> loves you, it will come back. 
So this was Slayer's way of saying, how fucking dare you? In fact, I was, it was funny because I got the, I got the pops back the other day and I'm not a big pop guy, you know, but, but this is Slayer. And I heard somebody say, say a great note on a, on a podcast or an interview one point of like, you have to understand why so many people like Funko Pops. And it's because for a lot of these Funko Pops, this figure is the only way that this thing will ever get a figure made of it. My personal Funko Pop collection is very small, but among Slayer, which I have, I also have Randy Watson and Lil Sweet, the Dr. Pepper mascot played by Justin Guarini. There ain't no place you're finding those figures anywhere else. Like they're pops and pops only. There's one figure made of those things and they are Funko Pops. You got you do have to give Funko respect for just mining the extremes of pop culture so that people can get a little thing that they enjoy. Yeah, the other benefit is like as a little kid, you know, it's it's look, I'm not playing with these things. Um mm-hmm. they're just like display basically. But yeah. when I was a little kid and playing with figures, the thing that I disliked was I loved He-Man, but I also loved G.I. Joe. Mm-hmm. They're not the same size. Yeah. So so the the beauty of Funko Pops is you can have your He-Man figures, you can have your G.I. Joe figures, you can mm-hmm. have your comic book figures, you can have your band figures. They're yeah. all the same size. They all have yep. the same look. They all mix and match together. So that was something yeah. I really do, uh, I had loved about Funko Pops when, when I was super into them. Um, basically, the only ones I want to keep now are my NBA ones. It's basically my mm-hmm. like Lakers ones, Warriors ones, and like my- Tom Gugliotta. Right. Bulls, right. Uh, Bulls, Derek Rose, you know. So, um, yeah. So that's that's the other beauty of Funko Pops. But, um, yeah, that's lame. Yeah, fuck that guy. Yeah. I hate eBay. So, look, it was meant to be. They came back to me. But while we're here, I just want to bring up two fun things. One, the thing you could say about Funko Pops is also the thing that you can say about the Super 7 reaction line. Because that's what they wanted to do. They wanted to make stuff the same scale. So, looking down on my desk... Here's what's there. Same scale. Same scale. Bootsy Collins. Soundwave from the Transformers. Godzilla. The Slayer Devil mascot. Cliff Burkett, Burton. Birkin. I, his friends call him Birkin. The late bassist from Metallica. <laughs> King Diamond. And Joel Embiid. All in the same scale. <laughs> Right. So that's also that's why Super 7 reaction line is so amazing. So so that's kind of like thing number one. Thing number two, by me randomly just saying Tom Gugliotta right now while while buzzed, it brought up a great line I remember from like an old interview. So NBA diehards will know that Tom Gugliotta was like a what small forward power forward that played for the Minnesota Timberwolves. The best years of his career were when Kevin Garnett was there. And I remember this profile that Sports Illustrated or something did with Kevin Garnett. And back in the day, whatever the hot NBA game was, maybe it was like NBA 2K5, right, to give you an idea. But Kevin Garnett created a team of the Minnesota Timberwolves where he did a bunch of like creative players. And his team, his team was KG, Kevin Garnett, Da Man, that was Kevin Garnett, Kevin. And Tom Gugliotta. <laughs> was that great? He basically had four replicas of Kevin Garnett and Tom Gugliotta. And then the reporter asked him, like, why Tom Gugliotta? And he was like, Goog's got skills. 
Uh, anyway, so I, I think that's a great place to wrap this up. Oh wait, how about we? Uh, how about we cover these beers real quick? Yeah, let's do. Oh, you, look at you. You're right. Do it. All right. Oh yeah, I'll go first. Um, Society Flashback Time IPA, seven point two sixteen ounces. I give this a five and a half. Wow. It is, look, after we talked about the scale the other week. It mm-hmm. really puts shit into perspective. It's just yeah. like, yeah, I've been giving too many. It felt like I've been giving sevens. too many sevens out recently. Yeah. And I need to fix that because I don't want people to like not trust my scale. It's like, well, Scott always just says seven. Everything's a seven yeah. apparently to this guy. Yeah. This yeah. is a, and, and look, even without thinking about our scale prior, I think I would have mm-hmm. given this a 5.5 5 because yeah. a standard IPA is a five. I'm not a fan mm-hmm. of fan of ipas but if you are a standard for everything any kind of beer you like a hazy you like a sour you like a um you know like a made in america lager whatever you like yeah. it's going to be a five the standard is a five mm-hmm. this is slightly better than a standard ipa because yeah. of the things that i had mentioned at the top of the hour was that it's a little bit smoother it's closer to a hazy than it is a straight IPA. But as I was going through the can, that started to go away. The smoothness yeah. started dissipating. It wasn't It wasn't that. I was getting more IPA. It felt like a slightly lighter IPA, even though mm-hmm. the alcohol percentage is a 7.2. Yeah. But um, I wouldn't buy this again. But if you do like IPAs and you think, for you, the, the person that loves IPA, a standard IPA to you is a 6 because it's one of your mm-hmm. more favorite beers. So this would be more of like a 6.5 to you. So mm-hmm. I would say to try this. But if you don't like IPAs and you're just whatever with them, this isn't really going to move the needle. Um, it's a little bit better. But beyond that, it's just okay. The thing I do yeah. like about it, 7.2% ABV. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. I can't even remember what the name of this beer is. I'm pretty sure it's called Last Guardian. So let's go with that. Okay. Because the bottle's not in front of me. <laughs> if you listen to the beginning of the podcast, you know. Go back, rewind. Yeah, you know, you name. you know. I I don't need to tell you. Um, thirty eight. I give this a thirty eight. <laughs> no, I, Scott. I I don't even know. I don't I don't I don't even know what to give this. You know what I mean? Like so. So I think in terms of flavor, it is delicious. It. Mm. But but you have to like. So I think on a real scale, I would say a nine. Okay. Oh shit. This is a nine. That's pretty good. This this has all the flavor of great Belgian Trappist ales. You know, it is a little bit sweeter, but it's also nineteen percent. You know, like that's why I don't know how to calibrate it. It's like it's like when Vince Carter did the two thousand dunk contest. You're only letting me go to ten. So so I mean I think in fairness it's a nine, but like this is one of those cases where nine means I recommend this to you under any context, but yo. You need to plan your evening. You know, like if you think like so Scott and I are recording this earlier in the day. We earlier in the day. See, that's how you can tell it's a 38 earlier in the day than we usually do. So we both have dinner ahead of us. So we both have emptier stomachs than normal. (laughs) If you think I'm driving to dinner, you're an idiot. I'm not. (laughs) So I think somewhere between nine and 38 is where I would say this. But just Mm -hmm. understand that like you have to plan your evening around this beer. Right, because oh, yeah. because you ain't driving, um, and and even though you're not driving, you might end up in jail anyway. <laughs> 
someone might just bust in. <laughs> you might get a call and they're say this is the police we need to yeah. guess what yeah we're outside your house <laughs> 19.2 percent is a wine you are drinking a wine that is disguised as a beer right now so high high marks this thing's been in my fridge i was i was afraid of it scott i'm not even kidding i was afraid of it forever and now i know why <laughs> so have you I'm, drank the beer that gary gave us i had one yes yeah, serious black yeah Did yeah, you yeah have I, I, I blew no i didn't have it on the air i blew you guys okay. up in the chat yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Because no, I was I was feeling good. I was feeling good, son. So, uh, but but at this point, I'll have to wait till the weather uh, cools off a little bit before I bust out another bottle of that. So anyway, we've rated the beers. Now you know, Bell Biv DeVoe, Yo Slick Flow. You can find me on Instagram at Keith underscore Invader. I'm posting stuff about, I mean, the books I'm reading, art from all of my books. And then conventions I'm doing, etc. Quotes, any of that stuff. So it's all there on Keith underscore Invader. Instagram is my social media of choice. It's the only one I like using. So follow me there. You can also find me at KeithRFoster.com. Uh, I have, you know, some blog posts, some pages devoted to the comics I do. And of course, a web store where you can buy Kadoja. Giant monsters meet H.P. Lovecraft. Three protectors, kung fu in space. And animals, animals are in fact killing people. Animals number one is out. I still have it as of this moment on my web store. So if you're frustrated that your local comic shop doesn't have it, I got it. Come hit me up. And you can find my books at accidentalaliens.com, Second Shift, Minimum Wage Superheroes, Wanders of Milisanda, Anthropomorphic Dinosaurs versus Humans, and Paradise Hills, not on the website yet. Uh, I am still in the process, but you can find Accidental Alien Anthologies 2018. There is probably less than less than 20 left of that, maybe 20 left, something like that. And then uh, Accidental Aliens Anthology 2019, um, I'm actually buying some issues back from one of the creators. So um, I think, I don't think those are available on the website anymore, like physically. So if you do want those, you can hit me up. Um, I made sure to take those down off of the website because, you know, doing shows and whatnot, they do sell out there. So um, if you Mm -hmm. want them, you can hit me up personally. Um, If not, Hopefully you can see me at a show one day and uh, buy them from me there. But if not, hey, uh, I'm always available. So uh, accidentalaliens.com for all those books. Yeah, yeah. Hey, fun fact. There was a there was a show back in the 70s that got reincarnated in the 10s, I think. And its original name was Hawaii Making Comics Podcast. Oh. But then they were like, nobody's going to get that. Like, what's a podcast? Nobody in the 70s even knew what a podcast was. Because it turns out that the show was created by time travelers that knew what podcasts were and knew that you need to give the Making Comics podcast five stars. And they said, this is actual transcript from that that marketing discussion, actually. And they said, well, can we just go with five? Can we just call it Hawaii Five-O? And they're like, whatevs. And history was made, right? But now you know the whole story. This is all documented somewhere on the internet. I don't know where, but the internet's never wrong. Like Abe Lincoln said so, right? So mm-hmm. you need to give us, you need to, to follow suit with the time travelers that named a Hawaii detective show in the 70s. And you need to give us those five stars. Throw us five stars on iTunes, whatever it's called now, Apple Podcasts, I guess. Um, throw us five stars on Spotify. Give us some nice words. We love it. We love seeing, you know, the fact that you are obviously rating us high, but we also love reading them personally. Scott and I 
pretty much exchange every single review word for word. And we're like, oh, that's really cool to hear, man. So thank you to those of you that have reviewed us. If you get two minutes, please do it as well. And you can hit us up at makingcomicspodcast at gmail.com. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, you let us know at makingcomicspodcast at gmail.com. Hey, we're out of here. We'll see you next week. Yay, yay.